Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, it's Patrick here. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. Today we have another Da Vinci case inside the Boards edition. This one's a neuro case, and if you would like to see the corresponding presentation on video, you can head over to the Da Vinci Academy YouTube channel um, or the Da Vinci Academy website, dviacademy.com. Just some announcements, you know, stay tuned. We've got a bunch of different things going on with Inside the Boards, including the development of an ethics and health systems science question dissections uh, series that is very similar to this one that we're doing with pathology. We just recently opened up a pilot program. We're beta testing some tutoring and coaching, which is kind of a hybrid, individualized uh, help for your board exams and group tutoring or small group tutoring. So you can head over to our website and the homepage if you're interested in signing up. We're just taking a limited number of people now while we kind of develop our processes and procedures. But um, I'm pretty excited about that because we've got a couple team members um, who recently joined who have done a lot of uh, virtual tutoring. And I myself will very much enjoy getting back to interacting more with uh, you guys who, you know, take your time to listen and support us. And so I guess that's all I'll say for today. There is like seriously a lot of uh, developments we've uh, been making probably more in the past few months than really uh, since founding Inside the Boards in 2016. So again, thanks for your support. And as you know, we've mentioned before, and you hear it all the time on podcasts, if you could leave us, if you think we're doing a, a legit job here, then leave us a five-star uh, review on whatever platform you're listening on or a five-star rating. And uh, reviews are nice too to help us develop the sort of content you want to hear. That's it. All right, here we go into the case. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Da Vinci Cases Inside the Boards Edition. Uh, so we'll start you off for this case. We have a 54-year-old man presenting to the emergency department with vision changes that started five days ago with no apparent cause. So we've just got a middle-aged guy here. He's got an acute change in vision uh, and coming to the ED. His vitals are within normal limits. And then his neurological exam demonstrates normal motor strength, sensation, and reflexes throughout all four extremities. Uh, so he doesn't have any kind of motor deficits, no sensory deficits or anything like that. And right now, all we know is just these vision changes. So they do a vision test, and it reveals that the patient is unable to visualize objects in both of his temporal visual fields. So his temporal visual fields would be his outer visual fields. Um, so he's not able to see peripherally, if you will. Patient drinks six beers per day, smokes two packs of cigarettes per day, and denies illicit drug use. Um, so just some social history, uh, you know, obviously smoking two packs a day would put you at risk for uh, definitely cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular problems. 
Past medical history is significant for hypertension, diabetes, type 2, which also both put you at risk for cardiovascular disease. And then in the case of a neuro case, all of those would put you at risk for stroke as well. So imaging of the head and neck would demonstrate which of the following abnormalities, occlusion of the left middle cerebral artery, aneurysm of the anterior communicating artery, aneurysm of the left posterior communicating artery, and D, dissection of the left internal carotid artery. So I will turn it over to Patrick here to go through the case here. Yep. So just to reiterate some of the, you know, notable pertinent positives, negatives, you've got, you know, somebody who's uh, in their 50s with an acute presentation to the ED. Chief complaint is vision changes that started without any identifiable cause. Vitals are normal and you've got a essentially normal neuro exam from the neck down and he's got visual field testing that makes him see essentially tunnel vision so an absence of temporal visual fields also referred to as bitemporal hemianopia and we are trying to decide what imaging finding we would see in this patient's case and just to reiterate it was Choice A, occlusion of the left middle cerebral artery. B, aneurysm of the anterior communicating artery. C, aneurysm of the left posterior communicating artery. And D, dissection of the left internal carotid artery. So the correct answer here is choice B, aneurysm of the anterior communicating artery. So this case will likely come down just to knowing the distribution and coverage of each of these vessels. So let's take a look at that, I guess, the the anatomy, which I'll turn it back over to you, I think, since, you know, radiology. Yeah, no worries. Um, so first, you know, obviously this brings in uh, kind of two components, like Patrick mentioned. There's a visual field. Uh, deficit component, and then obviously a vascular anatomy. So just to review these visual fields very briefly. So if we go down the, uh, you know, kind of the visual pathway here, you know, obviously if you take out the optic nerve, you're going to, you know, lose vision in one of those eyes. That's called a left anopia. If you hit the optic chiasm, that's actually where you lose those temporal visual fields, which is what we're seeing in our patient here. Uh, so bitemporal hemianopia. So keep that in mind. We want to be thinking about this question is really getting at what visual or uh, what vascular anomaly or which of those listed would cause a bitemporal hemianopia. Next, if we hit the optic tract, you get what's called a contralateral anomalous hemianopia, which is where you essentially kind of lose half of your visual field. So if it's on the if the if it's the left optic tract in this case in the uh, diagram on the video here, you lose the whole right side of your visual field in both eyes. Um, and then if it were all happen on the right optic tract, it would happen in the left. All right. So just for the audio listeners, um, can you emphasize kind of uh, the most important lesions to note and, and where they're at? Because I would say without being able to see the quarter of the pie lesions like the right superior quadrant tenopia or the right inferior quadrant tenopia, you know, you should visualize, I would say probably, the lesion in the optic tract from parietal lobe to the optic chiasm. A lesion there is going to lead to a right homonymous 
hemianopia, which would be the on the left-sided lesion, a right-sided loss of the visual field. The optic chiasm, where these fibers will cross over for the temporal visual fields. A lesion yeah, there. The temporal don't. The it's the nasal ones that they cross over there, which give you the temporal visual fields, right? Because oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. My bad. And that's I actually that's that's a good point too. I remember doing this. I for some reason I loved this uh, area of the brain, and um, notably, you know, you you see the uh, bitemporal hemianopia in a you know pituitary adenoma often compressing the optic chiasm. But the important thing to remember is those fibers on the nasal side cross over from left to right. And it's these nasal-sided fibers that give you your most lateral visual fields or your temporal visual fields. It's the outer fibers that provide your inner or uh, nasal visual fields. So hopefully that was clear. And then of course, a lesion of the left or right optic nerves themselves will lead to a complete loss of visual field on the ipsilateral side. Or uh, Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is for Myers loop, Myers loop travels in the temporal lobe. Uh, okay. So, so a, so a temporal lobe lesion would would be likely to cause or more likely to cause a quadrant superior quadrantopia and then the dorsal optic radiations travel in the parietal lobe so a parietal lobe lesion would cause an inferior quadrantopia and those can be anything they can be vascular they can also be you can have brain tumors in those regions that cause those visual defects as well sometimes when those tumors are resected surgically then you can see these defects happen as a result as well uh, so you definitely want to keep all of that in mind as well, kind of where these tracks are traveling within the brain. So coming back here, let's first go over the vascular anatomy very briefly. The circle will is very high yield for the USMLE neuroanatomy exams. Uh, your neuro shelf definitely would be useful for that. And then obviously if you go any further where you, you know, internal medicine, neurology, you'll definitely need to know this stuff. Um, internal carotid artery comes in like this. And then it bifurcates essentially. It doesn't do a great job of showing it here, but you have the middle cerebral artery that comes off and goes this way. And then you have the anterior cerebral artery that comes this way and supplies more of the medial aspect of the brain. It gives you that kind of mohawk distribution if you look at it in the sagittal plane. And so you have, you know, everything's uh, symmetrical. So uh, this side as well, you have your middle cerebral and then giving off your ACA as well. And then you have what's called the anterior communicating artery, which forms kind of the anterior portion of the circle willis or an anastomosis between your ACAs. And then you have your PCOMs, your posterior communicating arteries, and these form uh, anastomoses with your posterior cerebral arteries, which are part of the posterior circulation, which are coming off of your basilar artery, which is formed by your vertebral arteries joining together. Uh, so as far as our case, this most likely due is to a cerebral aneurysm. So a cerebral aneurysm is kind of an outpouching of a blood vessel. And they, you know, an aneurysm can happen theoretically anywhere in the body, but cerebral aneurysms are particularly relevant just because of how devastating and then obviously the neurological effects they can cause. So they usually occur at bifurcations in the circle wells. They can sometimes occur at the MCA as well. 
along the course of the MCA. But usually you're going to see them kind of forming the anterior communicating artery junction with the ACA or the PCOM junction, either in the anterior or posterior circulation. I believe that the incidence of these or the prevalence of these within the population is around one or two percent. Usually they're in sometimes they're just incidental or idiopathic, meaning we don't know what causes them, but there are certain risk factors. So if a patient's elderly or older, if the patient has hypertension, because that's putting increased stress and pressure on the vessel wall, smoking, because smoking damages the vascular structure. So these things can obviously put patients at increased risks. There are some genetic syndromes you want to be aware of that are particularly important for the board exam. So it's associated with Elhurst-Danlos syndrome. Uh, so a common thing would be if a patient comes in with some neurological deficits and then they also have hyperflexible joints or something like that. And then autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease can be associated with cerebral aneurysms as well. Uh, they're often asymptomatic, as I said, and, until they rupture, unfortunately. The only exception to that is they can compress surrounding structures, which results in symptoms. And so that's what we have in this patient. This patient's not coming in with a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Remember, subarachnoid hemorrhage is, quote unquote, the worst headache of my life or a severe headache, uh, which is when these rupture and fill the arachnoid space with blood. So if we come here to the brain, this is inferior view of the brain here. And then here's that circle well as shown again. And then here's that optic chiasm here. Here's the brainstem here, just to kind of orient yourself. And then if we blow that section up and give you a closer view like this. So we have the ACOM or the anterior communicating artery there between both of your ACAs there. And then if you have your optic chiasm just posterior to that. So you could imagine if you have an aneurysm of the ACOM, it can very easily compress the optic chiasm and give you that bitemporal hemianopia or where those nasal fibers are crossing over, get, carrying the visual inputs from the temporal fields, and which would give you that tunnel vision effect, if you will. And then just for completeness sake, because it also shows up a lot on the boards, is if you look at the PCOM here, the posterior communicating artery coming between the PCA and then the MCA here, you also have cranial nerve three, which travels right here, comes off the brainstem just adjacent to that and travels in the same region. So if you have an aneurysm of the PCOM, you can actually get an ipsilateral cranial nerve three palsy, uh, which gives you, you know, that down and out finding on visual exam of the eye, and you can get mitriosis or blown pupil with that as well. That's definitely something you want to be aware of as well. So that could be another, you know, otherwise the patient's asymptomatic, but they come in with vision changes and it's due to this, you know, cranial nerve three palsy. So definitely want to keep that in mind for your boards. So if we come back to the question here, we're going to run through the different answer choices and explain why the correct answer is the right one and why the wrong ones are wrong. Yeah. So in this case, our first choice was occlusion of the left middle cerebral artery. And so for me, being out of med school for quite a while, still, I would expect to see in the vignette something related to a motor deficit in the upper body and lower body, right? Yeah. Yeah, it would be it would be the contralateral side and it's it's more sort of the upper extremity than the lower extremity. Lower extremity would okay. be anterior cerebral artery. Yep. Okay, cool. So um without that motor deficit, I think you can pretty much just, you know, strike this one off uh, as a likely answer choice because you know, in the vignette, it just says neurologic exam and demonstrates normal motor strength, sensation, and reflexes throughout all four extremities. 
So an occlusion in summary of the left middle cerebral artery would be right upper extremity weakness, some dysarthria or speech changes, and a right-sided facial droop. Those would be the expected findings. Choice B was, of course, the aneurysm of the anterior communicating artery, which was our correct answer, the compression of the optic chiasm, as you see also in like pituitary adenoma, will result in a bitemporal hemianopia or tunnel vision with loss of the temporal-sided visual fields due to an interruption of the nasal-sided optic nerve fibers that uh, cross over at the optic chiasm. Next up, aneurysm of the left posterior communicating artery. So this, I think this was what you really just mentioned, that compression of the uh, same-sided cranial nerve 3, the oculomotor nerve, will lead to a down-and-out eye position, mydriasis, and ptosis. So is there anything you can offer just about the anatomic cause of that down-and-out eye position? I always remember um, superior oblique muscle is the fourth cranial nerve, so SO4, LR6, the sixth cranial nerve, will be responsible for lateral eye movement. Um, the lateral or the lateral rectus muscle is the sixth cranial nerve. And then AO, SO4, LR6. Yeah, yeah, that's... <clears throat> the, What's yeah. the other one? Um, is it all others? Is yeah, yeah, all others are cranial nerve three. Yeah, all the rest are, oh, okay. are cranial nerve three. Okay. Yeah, and the way, I, the way I like to explain this is that you want to think of the eye muscles almost in equilibrium. And so if, the you know, all the ner cranial nerves are intact, like Patrick mentioned, three, four, and six, you know, the eye's going to look dead ahead. Uh, versus if you knock cranial nerve three out, all those muscles have no inputs. So they're just kind of hanging out there. And then the uh, superior oblique and the lateral rectus can then act completely unopposed. So if they act, if they're completely unopposed, they're going to pull their eye, you know, they're going to pull the eye to the movements that they contract in. So they're going to pull the eye down and out. And so that's how you get that down and out because there's no corresponding force or equal force to pull that eye back into the neutral position. So again, Patrick explained it perfectly. You have, you know, still cranial nerve six and cranial nerve four intact. And that's how you get that, that position. All right, cool. And then dissection of the left internal carotid artery was the final answer choice C. So cause of this, usually uh, traumatic um, and presents with Horner's syndrome, headache, and a potential secondary stroke, which is what mostly going to be in the what MCA distribution from just the blood not perfusing adequately the distribution of the ultimate terminus of the left internal carotid artery, which would be the left middle cerebral artery. Yeah, just in reminder, Horner syndrome, remember just PAM, ptosis, anhydrosis, and meiosis. So those are causing, you know, that's due to your, you're knocking out your sympathetic input because those fibers travel kind of essentially around the internal carotid artery. So if you affect the internal carotid artery, you can damage those fibers as well. So, yep, that's the, just to summarize this again, this is a patient who had a cerebral aneurysm of the anterior communicating artery that was until five days ago, as the case says, was otherwise asymptomatic, but then started developing vision changes, which were due to this aneurysm essentially probably grew to the point 
of compressing the optic chiasm and then gave him this tunnel vision uh, visual defect. All right, so that's all we have for you this week. Thanks, everybody. Yep, see you later.